Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. A happy signing day, gentlemen. Part yeah. Deux. Yeah. Happy, yeah. Happy signing day too. Uh, Even for a Northwestern signing day, this was this was quiet. Yeah. I mean, super super quiet. I mean, we talked uh, about in the early signing period how we got uh, our sixteen uh, commits to sign, and we were waiting to see what would be coming. Um, two more commitments today, rounding out the class. Uh, we'll talk about all those guys in uh, just a little bit, but uh, you know, guys. Yeah, you know, we've been uh, kind of ducking the uh, basketball conversation the past couple weeks. Um, obviously, we had Louis Vacare on last week. Couldn't uh, couldn't pass up an opportunity to talk to him. Uh, go back and check that one out. We had a really great conversation with him, especially when you're t- looking at um, signing day today. Yeah, I really got some great insights from Louis. Um, but uh, basketball seems to have turned a bit of a corner. Um, you know, beat Michigan uh, last night. Uh, not nearly as dramatic as last year's win at home against Michigan, but uh, you know, it, you know, and it's like you you start looking at it and squinting at it, and it's like, yeah, six games left. Do we do we have a chance? You know, if if we're playing this well now, I... we talked we talked two weeks ago about you know coming off that Penn State and that Minnesota win. Both, uh, well, the Minnesota win on the road. The Cats had just been looking a lot better. We were getting more balanced scoring. Uh, the team just appeared to be a little bit more settled. Uh, McIntosh wasn't turning the ball over as much. And the defense, most importantly, the defense seemed to have settled in. And, and we've also seen now in the uh, subsequently, I, th- I think it started to show up there, but the, but the Cats have started to employ like a three-quarters court press. They've been running like a... Two three matchup zone, is, yeah, a couple different thing. versions of of a zone to pre- predominantly slow up the opposing team, but um, and and you know and make sure that that they're not getting run off of the court with the short bench, etc. But what you know, it seems to be working, and it and I, I don't know. The cynical part of me wonders why why we didn't try some stuff like a month ago. It seems you know kind of late, but um, you're right, Sam. The like the seeds of hope are are. Spring just a little bit. I, I mean, I'm still of the opinion that the tournament is is out of sight. I'm, I made a quip about us getting blown out by Texas Tech a couple weeks ago. Um, unbeknownst to me, Texas Tech had worked their way up into the top ten in the country, so maybe some of our losses aren't looking so bad anymore. But we just we just don't seem to have enough opportunities for good wins down the stretch. Who knows uh, if we go on a, on a run here that that could change things. But it, the the odds still look pretty long to me. I mean, like losing to Oklahoma doesn't look nearly as bad now with Trey Young being just this wonderkind, um, you know, Texas and, Tech and oh, that, and and, oh, and, oh, Cray- oh. and Creighton is great too. Neither of those games looked bad at the time, though. Like Texas Tech, we were like that was oh my god, the sky is falling. So you know, again, the funny thing is, if you think of traditional Northwestern scheduling, which is light on. Uh, quality opponents we could easily be 18 and 7 with no quality wins right now um we took on a more challenging schedule i think on the heels of what was an awesome season last season and you know i mean normally you're always kind of looking to put quality wins on there because you're thinking hey you're going to pick up a a resume builder and the and the committee's going to take that into account we didn't know we'd be waiting all the way until last night to get that quality win um against you know against Michigan so but again think about the fact that this team's 500 in conference and could be 18 and 7 6 and 6 overall had we played a bunny schedule and I mean eight the difference between 18 and 7 and 15 and 10 is huge I think even if we hadn't played anybody you'd be getting a lot more favorable talk people would be talking about us a lot more as a bubble team even if we'd played three total scrubonies because 18 and 7 and 6 and the 6 in the Big Ten doesn't look half bad and this you know it's just a weird kind of season and that's not to let the team off the hook i mean the bottom line is uh texas tech and oklahoma just ran us off the court but we played really strong against uh creighton really strong against a purdue team that you know has continued to be just phenomenal so it is undefeated in the big 10 so far i mean 12 and up right 
Right. I mean, like, kind of the weird thing is, is this is really such a, it's such a weird conference this year. There are very few teams, I mean, you could say kind of Michigan and on up who are really good. Penn State is kind of an example. I mean, that's a team we split with on the strength of an easier schedule. They're 17 and 9 instead of 15 and 10 like us. And from Penn State on down, you're really talking about nine teams that are not doing much of anything from a basketball. This is not a banner year for the Big Ten. And that's what's so bizarre. And I think that's part of the reason um, Chris Collins was more than happy to use that in his kind of like sarcasm-laced rant after the Michigan game, talking about how the media has just totally counted Northwestern out and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, we're not letting you off the hook for, you know, the very mediocre basketball that was played for a long time. But the fact of the matter is, there are a bunch of games left on the schedule against teams that are currently ranked below Northwestern in the Big Ten. And one thing that seems to be very possible for the Cats this season, kind of against all reason, is a winning record in the Big Ten. And if you consider last season where we had a 10-8 and record in the Big Ten, um, yeah, we the non-conference uh, slate fell a little bit better for us last year with a couple... Uh, you know, those tournament wins and whatnot. But, you know, we were 10 and 8 in conference last year. And if we can get there again, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for me, I keep looking at what what's different, you know, d- down here at the at, in these last five or six games. I mean, we held the last three opponents under 60 points. That's huge. Right. Drag that, them into I, the muck. I, I mean, that's... I don't think we're playing defense as well as we did last year. Um, we've talked ad nauseum about Sanjay Lumpkin and what his loss meant to the team, you know, both statistically from, from, you know, kind of a heart perspective, et cetera. But I, you know, what, what's different, what was really different in that Michigan game, in addition to the, to the decent defense is that McIntosh and Lindsay had spectacular games. McIntosh's field goal percentage was over 70%. He hasn't been over 500 more than twice since the since Big Ten season started, uh, so this is this is a, a, a dramatic you know shift. And if and if suddenly we get you know last year's stretch run Macintosh for the end of this season, and oh by the way, Scotty Lindsay has been really up and down this year as well. He had a great game last night too. This is another case where. Uh, you know, Lindsey was not, not as good uh, percentage-wise. He was he was great from three, hit two thirds two thirds of his three pointers. But uh, you know, he's he's been in double digits now. What six, seven of the last uh, eight games? So if these two guys can can play well, we haven't had this type of production from the back backcourt since last year. If you get that with the solid defense that Pardon and Law are are bringing up front. And and you can and you can still get a semblance of balanced scoring from three to four guys a night. Then this this squad is looking a heck of a lot more dangerous and could potentially go on a run here. I mean, like that Michigan State game looms big, but there's there's differences in what we're seeing on the court. Not just uh, not just that they're playing you know different competition or or getting lucky or, or whatnot. Like the, the the scheme has changed a bit, and some of the players are are looking a lot bit, a lot better for it. And like the Michigan State game is the the last game on our schedule that is, you know, that you really look at and saying, oh boy, we're, we're probably going to struggle with that. Every, everything else, you know, we play Maryland twice. We're above them in the rankings. We got another game with Wisconsin. We're above them. Iowa, uh, you know, all all appear at least on paper to be winnable. And when you compare that to last season where we really struggled down the stretch in the regular season. I mean, remember how we were just on the, that losing streak. We kept losing and losing, and we needed one more game. We, need, we're, and we kept losing and losing and losing. And then we got the, we got the win over Michigan, then came back and lost uh, the, the next game uh, before we got into the Big Ten tournament and, and turned it around. But, uh, you know, you, you look, if we can go on a, a winning stretch in the back half, and, you know, does the – committee kind of take recency bias into account at all you know who's playing really really well it's interesting i think obviously it's always good wins and bad losses right now we have one good win now um i think there's a lot of perspective because we've lost a lot of games that a lot of people think that we have a lot of bad losses and we don't 
Um, we have uh, the Georgia Tech loss, which isn't great. Georgia Tech is not a great team in uh, the ACC this year. They're not awful. They're just not anything special. And then our worst conference loss by far is on the road by 20 at Indiana. Um, that is that by... looks that looks pretty horrific. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, that, that's right. And, and that's but what's funny is that is by far our worst loss because Nebraska and Penn State look like tournament teams right now. Um, and so it, you know the idea is basically I'm saying is it's hard to imagine us doing anything without that Michigan State win. You know, a monster yep. upset yep. win. And then people would say two good wins, two bad losses. That's that would be the conversation, and that's you can talk about that. Realistically, though, I think you know anything less than four of the next six games, with one of those being Michigan State. I don't think there's any kind of tourney discussion. But like you know, like you guys said, I think if you take Michigan State out of the equation on a neutral court. Uh, Maryland, Rutgers, Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa. I think we get four of those, split with Maryland, and win uh, the other three. Um, yet as as it is, we have to go on the road to Rutgers and Iowa. But those are two of the three worst teams in a fourteen team conference. So it's if this team keeps playing the way they are, I mean, hey, we've won four of our last five games, and like Scuzz said, I mean, we're we're getting the other teams to play the kind of basketball we want to play, which is those low-scoring kind of games. I mean, heck, even the road loss to Michigan, if we'd been able to not turn the ball over and hit the broadside of a barn, that game was there for us because Michigan was not scoring points. So um, I think it's it's setting up well for us. Realistically, though, I mean, we were talking about it. I think, you know, if, if we get that Michigan State win, we can talk, but... This kind of feels like to really get in, we need eight more wins, and that would be eight wins in a row. So I don't know, <laughs> but okay, but hang, in on, a row, hang on, hang on. Let 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 let, let me uh, spin this. Um, you know, if we go five and one, and we lose to Michigan State and win the rest, that puts us at uh, twenty uh, twenty one. No, sorry, twenty and eleven. 20, 20 and eleven, but eleven and seven in conference, right? Right, twenty eleven with eleven and seven in conference. That you know that is better than we did last year at least as far as you know the conference record goes you know do a little damage at uh, Madison Square Garden and is it that bit is it that big of a stretch it still seems like it still seems like a tall order I mean I know for I sure think, for sure I think this team is I think is safely played itself into the NIT which I know a lot of people groan when I said that, but that was definitely in doubt for a while. And right now, the way this team is playing, now, you know, I always wonder, okay, so what else does a committee consider, right? Let's say this team wins, I don't know, like like Sam said, five of its next six, wins one in the tourney and bows out. Well, would the committee look and be like, hey, this is a team that won 10 of its last 12 games. Would they take that into account? I don't know. Um we know that one of the big things we had last season was quality wins on our resume. And right now we still have one of those. So I think, you know, I think the committee probably doesn't say anything in, in, until we pick up that Michigan State win. So, um, I, you know, we're playing better basketball for sure. I think one thing that I'm just fascinated with right now, given everything that's transpired, is the way this team has a real chance for a winning record in conference. And I think that's, that alone is something uh, that's, that's a real big deal. I, I, I have to throw a lot of cold water on, on the tournament stuff. Please do. Cause, Please do. Cause right now, most uh, projections have only four big 10 teams getting in. Oh, really? But, yeah. Even Nebraska is really an iffy yeah, on a lot of people's and lists. So like beating Maryland would be really good for us. Um, obviously the Michigan state thing would be, would be huge. And, and that's, and that's Sam where I, where I think like the five and one scenario, it'd be great. But without, without that marquee win, there's just not enough to propel us into the conversation. Cause there's like, like the big 10 relatively to other conferences is so, is so far down in perspective right now. And I just think it'd be kind of like a Herculean task to, to get, to get over that hump. Now, you know, the Michigan State game is ten days from now, so one week from tonight, we, you know, we might have a really interesting conversation on our hands. Especially when you look at uh, they've had two, you know, three point wins on the road against mediocre competition. Their last two games, 
there's all sorts of, you know, stuff going on in their athletic department right now. So, um, so we, we can have a really interesting conversation in a week, depending on how things, things go in the next seven days. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to need some help, um, from the broader, you know the broader landscape of bubble teams falling off and and hurting themselves to, and like, to get into the conversation and like a lack of upsets in the mid-major tournaments stuff like yeah, that exactly we need we need i think it would i think even more than just eight straight wins we'd need some help elsewhere because of where the big 10 sits in the pecking order right now and how far down we are within the big 10 pecking order so interesting you know kind of yeah you know, and to be fair you know, when we were talking hoops last time, it was much more doom and gloom than than what we're talking right now. So, oh yeah, we didn't even entertain the notion a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, and, and you know, we did. I, I mean, we didn't expect to go. You know, win four of our last five. And you know, yeah, that, that, that was I, that's big. Yeah, I mapped out a scenario where you know we'd be hosting Michigan potentially on a four game win streak, and then we lost at Michigan, but we handled the the end of that so yeah this team is is still pretty hot right now um and about to play uh, a mediocre uh group of teams on the level so we will see and if we can get uh performances like we saw from uh, mcintosh and Lindsay, and you know vic law can show up in the same evening then all of a sudden that's that's a really scary team it just we, we haven't been able to get those three guys going at the same time uh, in in one game, so uh, yeah, couple couple games uh, this upcoming week uh, out on the East Coast at Maryland at Rutgers before uh, coming home to take on Michigan State, and we'll uh, definitely preview that next week. But uh, you know, the other big news of the day uh, as we as we pivot on to uh, signing day um, is that there wasn't really a, a ton of news for Northwestern. Uh, Sam Stovall and AJ Hampton uh, both signed like we expect they expected they would, and DJ Brown, who you know was was a possibility, um, made his decision. He went with Notre Dame. I, I don't think that was a big stunner to anyone. Um, you know, he, he put us in the top three, but I, I think all of the uh, all the indications were that he was going to go to Notre Dame. So uh, that that came through and now we've got our class of uh 18 18 guys and uh you know like we were talking with louie last week um i think the biggest thing that i'm impressed by are the uh the five guys who are uh early enrollees i think that's really really cool and and something that you wouldn't necessarily see from if everyone uh signed on regular on you know that's something that is new with the early signing period not just new with Ernie's early signing period but relatively new with Fitzgerald I mean you go back 10 years and he actively encouraged guys to not start school early and to enjoy being a high school and senior and to go to prom and do all those all those things and I think just the realities of competing with with other schools that are that are bringing kids early and the benefits that 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 allows um that you know Fitz has relaxed that and and is you know now if guys really want to do it like I, I don't he wouldn't stop somebody if they really wanted to he wasn't going to say no you can't um but he was vocal at least with the within the media and within interviews about discouraging it and I don't know like I don't love the idea of of kids you know missing out on the last three months of their high school career or whatever but um it's you know it certainly pays dividends for uh, for the squad and frankly for uh, for these guys getting acclimated to college and the and and that environment as well. I mean that's that's a big transition when you're when you're going not just full speed with with football and practice and games in the fall, but you've got that academic load on top of you that that you've never seen before as well. And, and that that's two quarters. Uh, you got winter quarter and spring quarter uh, to kind of adjust to life on campus and. Uh, and let's be honest. Remember back to your your kind of spring semester senior year in high school. Really, did you do anything? Because I know I I didn't. No, yeah. Although, wow, shots fired. Hey, no, hey. Although it's funny, Sam, that you say that because um, fits the idea of slacking off at certain times in high school. Um, it, it was so funny, and and this is kind of dovetailing with 
what you guys are talking about with, oh, you know, how did Northwestern does it? Is it different? This new landscape, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Fitz went on Big Ten Network today to kind of give his little two cents about the, the class and his thoughts on signing day. And Mike Hall kind of queued him up to be like, so talk about the class. And they immediately started running Devin O'Rourke highlights. Fitz didn't want to talk about any of that. While they're running Devin O'Rourke highlights, Fitz didn't so much as name a single recruit. He just immediately brought up how good the academic performance uh, through into their senior year of the 2018 class has been just so he could pivot to kind of finger wagging at the 2019 class for underperforming academically, which I thought was great. And it was so unique to Northwestern. You're not going to see any other coach do something like that. Basically, as far as I could parse it out, Fitz, I, I want to say, called out a bunch of guys that Northwestern is currently actively recruiting. I'm going to guess it's a lot of guys for which Northwestern is the best offer or certainly one of the top couple offers. And I think Fitz did a couple checks on a couple, uh, what he called six semester transcripts, you know, uh, the start of the second semester grades or end of the first semester grades for a lot of these juniors and was not liking what he was seeing and used this platform as a time to call these guys out. And he also brought up um, the idea, he actually said to all you seventh and eighth graders out there, you cannot slack off your freshman year and expect that it's not going to come back to bite you later on in the recruiting process, which is such a sobering thing. I'm involved in the college process, you know, through my job. And I, you know, I'm telling, talking to a lot of, a lot of kids where I'll be saying, yeah, you know, like you, you can't like the schools that freshman year, if you didn't have it together, that's going to hurt you. It's just really different to hear a football coach talk about all of those things. And, you know, it's just, it's, it kind of factors in with the early enrollees, right? Where it's like, he's saying, look, we're different. And if you're going to early enroll here, it's not going to be all about football. And we're going to brief you um, because it's going to be hard. And are you ready for the college level work yet? Because it's going to be coming at you. It's just, it. it's not lip service. When Louis Vacare last week said that Stanford and Northwestern do it differently than everyone else in the country, he wasn't kidding. And we really do. Well, and the other comment he made that, that I think is really applicable here, uh, Louis, that is, it, you know, he talked about how people misconceive, and we've probably been guilty of this at times, but misconceive the constraints on Northwestern from the academic side as uh, a limiting factor as opposed to the differentiator that helps us get into living rooms that we might not otherwise be in. And I, I to me, fits making these comments in the venue that he did and in the way he did and with the um, confidence is maybe not the right word, but uh, the, you know, he, he really sees, I think he really believes that as well, that, that the academic offerings at Northwestern are a massive selling point and a huge boon to um, potentially to, to kids who want to take advantage of it. And he's tripling down on that when he makes comments like that. I and mean, there's no, there's no hiding from it. And um, I think, you know, stepping back and, and thinking about the, the scope of recruiting and how things have, you know, the, the type of comments that Fitz used to say on, on signing day and the types of things he, sa he says now, he's focusing on telling future potential recruits to keep their grades up and keep focusing uh, and not slack off as opposed to saying things like stats are for are for dump for losers and star ratings don't mean anything. You know, he, he's, he seems to be just so much more comfortable in his skin um, in terms of the message he wants to deliver the statement he wants to make and as opposed to reacting to the questions that he's getting asked. For sure. And, and when Louie talked about the, the idea of academics as a selling point, I mean, yes, it's probably a little bit of lip service, but look at Sam Stovall, right? I mean, Sam Stovall was committed to Western Kentucky and he decommitted to go to Northwestern and basically said Northwestern is the only school um, that I would have done this for. And yes, obviously, like the guys from Chattanooga, Tennessee, if tennis, if the Vols come calling, you know, who knows what was going to happen. But on the other hand, you know, Louie had an article up about Stan Stovall today. This guy's uh, in high school and one of his favorite movies is Cool Hand Luke. Um, 
And so this is a kid who's very much like into classic cinema and things like that. And, and, you know, listening to the interview, kind of a real academically oriented kid, a cerebral kind of kid. And it's a defendable decision for something like that. I do think it's a little bit different than, let's say, a kid who might not feel comfortable. Let's say I'm committed and then a, a bigger school came calling and I'm just going to decommit and leave the other school in the lurch. Well, it totally changes the equation if the if the kid says, look – I got to be honest with you, Western Kentucky, I've got a chance to get a Northwestern degree now. I can't turn that down. And that's basically what he, what Sam said. He's like, look, I have the opportunity not just to play big time football, but to get a Northwestern education now. And I can't turn that down. And that's a big selling point, especially, you know, late in the process for guys like this. Uh, so, you know, we mentioned that the, the five guys uh, coming to campus early, we haven't actually said who those guys are as, as I, I remember last week we were you know Louis was talking about them and I, I realized I don't know I didn't know who they were so um doing a little bit of research uh you know we have Isaiah Bowser Khalid Jones Andrew Leota Jeremiah McDonald and Greg Newsom are the five guys coming on um real quick you know without going through all 18 guys of those five you know I I, I obviously Isaiah Bowser is kind of the the guy that a lot of people are looking at um you know someone who could uh, potentially step in and you know not that you're able to replace Justin Jackson but uh someone who could step in and hopefully not have the drop-off be too great well I don't think he's stepping in I think Jeremy Larkin is stepping in sure um but yeah, I mean, the thing about Bowser is he's, you know, he's Mr. Ohio football this past year. The guy was um, just an absolute legend uh, in his school and in, in, in the uh, class that he was in. So Kali Jones, another one who um, top, top end player in the state of South Carolina played in their, um, their I think North Carolina, South Carolina all-star game, I want to say. So the fact that these guys are coming early, these are not just guys that want to get into school early. They they are hoping to contribute uh, their freshman year. I think Bowser's got a much more stacked deck in front of him in, in the running backs when you look at um, Larkin and Moten and some of the other players that we've got in, in, those, in those slots. But uh, these guys – these guys have a real opportunity to contribute, and I think coming early is going to going to help facilitate that. Uh, the The other one, Greg Newsom, is is someone that Louis mentioned. He, he thought was was uh, real high potential, and, and maybe maybe a little bit underrated in in the star system and such with rivals. But um, another guy, I mean, we, we saw how quickly what what a perceived strength in terms of depth in the defensive backs can become quickly a weakness with just one or two guys getting getting nicked up so um you know Newsom being involved uh with those guys early that's that's huge as well I think it's not the the sexy way to go here and there are a lot of places I could talk about but let's talk offensive line because we've talked about this that the offensive line has been an underperforming area for Northwestern for years and we've got a decent group of offensive line recruits in this class I mean it's always hard to know who's going to who are going to be the guys who really shake out but Wyatt Blake and Charlie Schmidt were two very highly related uh, rated offensive line recruits from the state of Illinois I think if you look I think two of the top four linemen in the state and both of them had significant offers I think Blake in particular is a guy who was really highly thought of by a lot of schools I think uh, Blake in particular is a guy who had a lot of decent offers Minnesota Missouri um, Syracuse, Vanderbilt, I mean, not a ton, but a lot, but a high number within a certain level of school, um, Boston College, Duke, Indiana, Kansas State, he was just very wanted and is viewed as a very solid offensive lineman. And again, the second half of it, of course, we always talk about is like the development of these guys. Can we actually turn one of these guys into a guy who's, you know, an all-conference level lineman because we have real trouble doing that, but the start is is getting the quality guys in and i think this this class has a couple of those quality offensive linemen uh, not to mention uh some of the walk-ons you know willie boatman uh walking on from uh denver he went to kent high school there you know he, he's another guy who's going to be in the mix um so you know can never count out the walk-ons as well to be potential uh contributors too so 
Let's not forget about uh, Boatman or Raymond Nero, uh, who is going to be coming in as a wide receiver. Uh, local guy from Barrington. So I have two, I don't know that I'd call them concerns, but two things I wanted to point out that um, from uh, from a high-level perspective have me maybe a little bit just just nervous isn't even the right word just things that i'm that i'm i'm i'll i'll just be watching right so one is wide receiver recruits we've only got one wide out in this group uh jacob jefferson coming out of the same high school as venrick mark you know looks good on tape doesn't have that top end speed that that mark had you go back to last year's class we only had two receivers in that class um one being one being Berkeley Holman, who was uh, pretty pretty low on the on, on the rating on the rating scale, and then Jace James, who got into some games last year, looks to probably be a contributor, maybe even a starter this next season. Obviously, Jalen Brown coming over from from Oregon has another year of eligibility with the Cats, so that maybe precluded the need to get another wideout. But it does we do feel a little bit light uh, in in that in that grouping. You know the receivers have been kind of an up and down uh, position group for the Cats over over the last five years, we'll say. So a little bit of concern there. The other thing I'll I'll, I'll point out, and we got a question on a request on Twitter to to discuss recruiting tonight and to to talk a little bit about you know what why to feel good, why to feel bad um, going forward with the Cats. I mean, I think one thing that I'm adding a, a point here to to, to to the things I'm going to mention, but. One thing I think we all feel really good about is the defensive line. You know, Ernest Brown came in last year. Uh, you've got O'Rourke coming in this year. Like we just we continue to recruit really, really well on the defensive line, especially at end. The Millers uh, are back next year. Gaziano, Trent Gones, Tommy Carnifax is a name that nobody's talked about because he's been you know he redshirted and then he was injured. So the, there's a ton of talent on the D line. We can continue to recruit really well there, but. We're graduating the bulk of the four-star recruits that we've attained in the last uh, several years. Justin Jackson, Clayton Thorson, Garrett Dickerson, and Parker Westfall all came in the same year as four-star recruits. Uh, Westfall, unfortunately, you know, was never able to overcome injuries and get on the field. Thorson presumably is going to be back next year or the year after. But we've only had a, a, a couple of four-star recruits come through in the last couple of years. Uh, Alvidi is another one who's, who's graduating. So I stars are not everything, but it does feel like, you know, next year, maybe we need to, to climb back into that top echelon a little bit. Um, Cause we've seen how productive the, those three guys in particular, Dickerson, those three guys in particular, Dickerson, Jackson and Thorson have been for us. So, uh, that top end talent. I think we're still getting guys that are great fit for Northwestern, have a ton of upside, uh, a ton of potential. Again, especially on defensive line. But I'm a little nervous about about some of the skill positions moving forward. And I mean, to, to dovetail with that, Louis talked about it last last week. And you're talking about wide receivers. I mean, we went after Micah Jones so hard, and Micah Jones would have been exactly that kind of blue chip guy yeah. that you're talking about. And and we didn't land him. And and I think I kind of look in this class, and yes, I know people talk about the pedigree, but Drake Anderson is a really slight of build guy, um, and don't you, you know, dare, don't and, you dare, and maybe more of a, a Solomon Vault type at the next level in terms of a guy who is you know potentially plays some slot something like that, um, and and so I, I mean I and Bowser you know kind of remains to be seen. I mean I, again I think he he was such a one man show for so long that he's, he's the guy that the Northwestern offensive line is going to look great to him. This guy was doing it by all, all on his own, you know, all the way through high school. So, um, but yeah, no, your point is, is well taken. I mean, it comes down to a lot of those big battles now overall. I mean, I think you can look at a lot of things and, and we've kind of talked about Texas, but it applies to the South too. A guy like Godwin, Iguabuike is a classic example of a guy. I think what out of out of Ohio, maybe the Cincinnati area, is that correct? Who um, had a lot of um, a lot of offers, but none of the really big offers that you'd expect to see roll in. And a lot of times we mind those guys, especially out of Texas, a guy like Patty Fisher, uh, to great effect. And if you look at the linebackers this year, Khaled Jones and Jalen Rivers are both very highly re- uh, rated uh, linebackers from the South 
who for whatever reason did not have those big SEC offers. What they do have though is very high graded, very they're very well regarded and they both have tons of offers across like a certain level that stops just short of the traditional SEC powers. And I, I think it's always part of like there are only so many of those spots to go around in the SEC and if you can catch those guys, I mean Khaled Jones, you're talking about a guy who was a defensive MVP of the North Carolina South Carolina Shrine game. So um yeah, I mean it's you want those four star guys you're looking though to you know that high three star, the guys who you know everybody wanted, but whether for whatever reason there just aren't enough spots, you know. Um, and if you can get enough of those guys, you're going to be really solid. But right, we'd all we'd all love to see that that one bell cow. Right now though, I, I think I'm like, hey, Jeremy Larkin, that guy can fly. He can get it done. Can we get a couple of those four star bell cows on the offensive line? You know, a couple mm-hmm. of those Wisconsin type guys, some real hole openers. That's what I want. So another aspect, and, you know, everyone, you know, the quarterback is the sexiest position in football, I guess. You know, everyone wants to talk about the quarterback. Um, and we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about Jason Whitaker uh, coming in. 6'5", 197 out of Rockford, Michigan. Um, you know, he's was ranked number 24 pocket passer in the nation by ESPN. Uh, you know, th- this is a guy who's... You know, a pocket passer, someone who, I I don't know. I mean, does he, you know, who who does he remind you of? It's hard to say just because we, we haven't had, he's really slight of build um, for how tall he is. And it, I'm trying to remember the last time we had a guy who kind of fit that perspective. I mean, people are going to compare him to Thorson because of the height, but Thorson and Simeon, you know, I think, had a little bit more on their bones than he does. He's going to have maybe, to maybe Kafka, but that, that, Kafka that's kind of what I was such thinking a speedster. Too. Yeah, and again, uh, he was you know, he was more dual threat than than Thorson. Well, right. Thorson came in as a true du- true dual threat and kind of gotten away from that in, in recent years. But Kafka came in as not a dual threat because the threat was his legs. Right, that's true. Yeah, so I, I mean, Persa? I, you know, but Persa wasn't tall. No. No. It's no, and I mean, I think you could kind of fold Aiden Smith into this too, even though he's a little bit shorter. Um, they're more traditional pocket passer types. I mean, these are guys who are throw first quarterbacks, um, and and you know, it's hard to know. I mean, we haven't seen Whitaker. I think Whitaker got a little bit of an up and down senior year. I think he was hurt for a little bit, um, but again, he's the, the second rated quarterback in his class in the state of Michigan. So it's, I mean, he's he's a big time player and. One luxury we have, and I know it, people are you know fretting so much about Thorsten and everything, but we've got several quarterbacks who were very well regarded coming out of high school on this roster. Um, guys are going to get a chance to play. No one's throwing Jason Whitaker into the fire. I mean, this guy's going to have a chance to develop and, and learn the college game, and that's ideally the way it's supposed to be. I think, I think people have really um, forgotten about Eden Smith and how good he was in high school. Uh, he and Ben Skoranek tore up the seven on seven circuit. Um, I, you know what the number five player in the state of Indiana, his senior year, something like that. I, I or maybe it was the number five QB. Regardless, like, I, for my money, and just knowing how Fitz generally works, I think I think unless unless there's something we don't know about how he practices or hic- hiccups in his game, I just I think Smith seems like the the best bet to um, certainly be the number two behind Thorson and and have the first shot at the job should uh, should Thorson's recovery uh, still be going on early next season. Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll get well. I, I actually shouldn't say I'm sure we'll get more uh, enlightenment as spring practice rolls around because you know they're so tight lipped about everything. But uh, you know we we might get some signals on on what we're looking at when uh, spring practice comes. And you know, I would imagine that's going to be starting pretty soon. I, I haven't seen for sure when, uh, when we're planning to do spring practice, but you know, typically we've done a little bit uh, in winter quarter and then come back after spring break and do a little bit more. So um, I, I guess we'll see when, when that's coming. Uh, anything else jumping out at you about this class or uh, kind of the recruiting landscape as a whole? 
just to kind of tie a bow and bring it back to, to, to where we started in this class, A.J. Hampton had an offer from Nebraska, and anytime you can flip a guy with an offer from Nebraska and add him to your defensive backfield on the last day of, you know, recruiting, um, that's, well, I mean, I guess he, he committed a few days earlier, but to be able to, to go searching for a defensive back to finish out your class this late in the process and have that guy be a guy that Nebraska also recruited uh, is a pretty big deal. I I um I'm just going to come back to the defense and what I think is is really becoming the hallmark of Fitzgerald's program which you know is not really a surprise to anyone but the, you know the recruiting on D-line I talked about it earlier the linebackers jo- Cully Jones and uh Grayson Mann both come in pretty highly regarded you've got the Gallagher brothers uh one you know, redshirted this year. The the others coming in in 2019, presuming that he that he signs next year. We own the state uh, of Massachusetts. This, we continue to bring in awesome DBs. You know, Roderick Campbell never really saw the field last year, but presumably uh, is lined up for for you know playing time next year. Keith Watkins potentially comes back for for a sixth season. You know, Hampton to me was was a, a fantastic pickup. Um, given how how well regarded he is, and like you said, John, he's he was garnering interest from other from other great places, and we already talked about Newsom. So, I just I just think the defensive re- recruiting has been spectacular, and even though we aren't seeing a lot of the the high four star guys uh, that we that we did maybe you know coming off that Gator Bowl season, this uh, the the defensive side of the ball still feels really really great to me, and the the philosophy and the identity of this team. Um, seems to be in alignment with with the guys we've seen coming into the program in the next couple of years. Well, very cool. Um, you know, it's always fun to to talk recruiting, and you know, especially as you know the class wraps up. So uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Obviously, we'll keep tabs on everything as as we move forward. Um, you know, we have three commits already for 2019, and uh, I would not be surprised. You know, as spring practice rolls up. For uh, us to be recruiting even harder, we'll we'll see if uh, that academic factor comes into play. Um, although I'm sure none of us will ever hear uh, for sure anything behind that. But uh, you know, spring practice is always a good time for uh, the next year of recruits to come to campus, and you know, hopefully the the weather will be well, at least behave somewhat uh, for their visits. So. Uh, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight as we uh, continue our search for the Swoley Grail. So for my final thought, uh, I thought about ranting on one of my favorite topics, which is Dabo Sweeney. But then I read the article, and the article wasn't as hot as his take, where where the headline is, Dabo says transfer proposals are, quote, total chaos. Um, but he didn't, you know, the, the actual conversation wasn't quite that hot. So I'll lay off Dabo tonight, and I'll focus on the Super Bowl, which was really, really entertaining, a ton of fun to watch. And... One of the things that, that I really noticed, we've talked about it a little bit on this, uh, on, on uh, during offensive previews in the past for Northwestern and wondering about um, the run-pass option, the RPO concept, how much Northwestern is actually bringing that into their playbook, etc. Obviously, that's been a big talking point with Philadelphia all year. The announcing crew was so excited about it. And usually I love Collinsworth and uh, and Michaels, but they were so excited about this this newfangled offense that um, every every play that even slightly resembled play action, uh, I think a lot of which were just simply play action, were referred to as RPOs. Um, and I just it, it was it was just interesting because you know what has been maybe not called out a lot during broadcasts of college games, but certainly has been talked a lot about on the back end with scheme and the way, you know, you look at, at August Melzon, how he operates his offense at Auburn. Uh, you look at some of the things that um, I think Jeff Brome is doing at Purdue and obviously Chip Kelly and, and the powerhouse he built at Oregon. Like it's been a huge component of the college game the last five or 10 years. There are elements of it that get employed in 
in pro football, certainly the Eagles maybe this year took it to the to the next level, coupling it with a really aggressive style uh, of of play calling, etc. So it was it was fun to watch. There were, there were some really key examples where where you saw that um, you know the the uh, the weak side linebacker or the strong side linebacker was was the absolute primary target of the play design, and uh, and they they just attacked it downhill. But there were plenty of other times where things were called RPOs that may or may, may or may not have been. And at, at a certain point when you're a defender, there's not a whole lot of difference between defending an RPO and defending play action. I mean, there is, uh, but it's, it's kind of the same, kind of the same concept in, in, in the moment, if you will. So, so that was an interesting, an interesting situation given that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. A lot more offenses and teams are going to be start employing this stuff and thinking about this stuff. There's been plenty of discussion about the you know the demise of the quarterback position coming out of college and oh these guys aren't ready to read the field or run NFL offenses. Um, well, maybe smoke, smart coaches are going to start thinking of ways to simplify things for their quarterbacks and make life easier on them. That is the primary uh, feature of of the RPO concept is that it allows the quarterback to make a um, very obvious yay or nay decision based on reading one player, just like the read option uh, in the run game. So just be interesting to see how that evolves over the next uh, couple of years at the next level. Uh, I anticipate Northwestern is going to not go in that direction and continue to focus on uh, super backs and power running, et cetera, which, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not upset about that. Don't take that the wrong way, but uh, just an interesting observation as we watched that very entertaining I, Super Bowl. I have a counterpoint for you, Scuzz. I Northwestern was so far ahead of the curve offensively that we were running RPOs before they were effective plays. <laughs> that, that's how out in front of the RPO. Oh. We were running RPOs before they worked. That's how well, far I mean, ahead you, of the curve we were. You go back to 2000, you can argue that, you know, a lot of what Kustak did was I, I mean, I don't I don't think he was quite reading you know, linebackers in the way that Nick Foles was on Sunday, but you can argue that a lot of the way Northwestern spread offense operated in 2000 and 2001 was an RPO concept. Yeah, I I just think the most popular Northwestern RPO continues to be read option with, hey, you also have a chance to throw out a screen pass to a wide receiver who has no blockers in front of him. That's always your third option on the <laughs> RPO. That guy standing out there ready to be fed to the Lions, You, if you want to, throw it out to him and watch him get hit by two guys. Um, yeah, I've, the, I, have, I feel like a lot of Northwestern fans are going like, Oh, that's what an RPO can be when we were like watching the Super Bowl. But, um, but you're right. It's get if if you were sick of RPO during the Super Bowl, well, buckle up because Lord have mercy, is it going to explode in college football this coming year? Remember when the Wildcat was the thing du jour yes. in yeah. the NFL, and then like right on the heels of that, Harbaugh, um, you know, figured out how to run inside zone with Kaepernick in a way that defenses particularly the green bay packers were completely befuddled um i just like it's just funny how the nfl will see something that works and they all like go racing toward it uh like headless chickens and then it generally doesn't work that great at the the next place they employ it because the defenses have all adapted so i don't know just be fascinating to watch that that give and take next year yeah it sure it sure doesn't take nfl defenses that long to adjust to the latest thing du jour I just can't wait until every college team starts running the RP, whatever the name of the team mascot is, offense, just like it happened with the wild cat, wild hog, wild bear, wild whatever. It's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot more of that. Um, uh, call the RP banana slug. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> the RP okay. spider two Y banana. Sorry, I'll, 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 I'll see myself out. Uh, the I've so I'll go Super Bowl as well for my final thought. Um, but I'll pivot um, away from the field and also toward Northwestern for what, if anyone didn't see it, was a really cool story that Sports Illustrated ran involving Austin Carr. 
Um, I guess when Austin Carr was a freshman at Northwestern, Jeff Budzine encouraged all of his teammates to join Be The Match, which is the largest bone marrow registry in the world. And a lot of guys did it. A lot of guys uh, donated and, and put themselves on file. And years later, Austin Carr was one of, uh, was one of I guess, at the time, the only guy on the team whose phone randomly rang. And I guess it's not just rare for the team. It's rare for anybody. I mean, you're creating the registry, but very few people are a match, which is why it's important for so many people uh, to join the registry. And he did. And his phone rang. And someone said, it's, it's be the match. You've been selected as a potential match. And he began the process of donating bone marrow uh, to somebody who was in life-threatening danger and and. Um, you know, I, it's, you know, it's hard to throw around words like save someone's life, but I mean, it, this is a guy who had multiple health problems and is still alive today and he really needed the bone marrow and it's Austin Carr's bone marrow was, was what he got. And it was really cool in Sports Illustrated, you know, reunite. I think the two guys, I think through the NFL were reunited the week leading up to the Super Bowl, um, Carr and the guy who's, who he donated bone marrow to. And that's just really awesome, and it's a really cool story. It's great for Northwestern to to get into the spotlight that way, and for Carr to be doing something so great. And of course, you know, for all of us who knew Carr, um, you know, at North in Northwestern. I mean, not didn't know him personally, but just knew the kind of person he was. I mean, Renaissance man, great guy. It just totally fits. And as an aside, in the story, it mentioned that his college roommate Matt Macucci, our one-time backup kicker uh, slash kickoff man. Um, also joined the registry and also uh, this past year donated his bone marrow, which is pretty awesome. And my wife taught Matt Macucci at Stevenson High School and, you know, was a huge fan of his. So just a really cool story all around. And it's just great to see cats doing big things in that regard. Absolutely. Uh, my final thought, I'll keep it real quick. Um, congratulations to uh, Maddie Lip and Aaron Larner. Uh, you might ask, who are Maddie Lip and Aaron Larner? I will tell you, they are the number one ranked uh, women's doubles team in uh, college women's tennis. So, um, you know, Northwestern women's tennis is a uh, top 25 ranked. Uh, dropped a, a match this week, past weekend to Texas. But uh, we've got the top ranked doubles team in the country. So uh, congratulations to uh, Maddie Lip and Aaron Larner. Uh, keep up the great work. And we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-2287. That's 847-231-CATS. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.